Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Women Emerging podcast. I'm Julie Middleton, Director of Women Emerging. Every week I speak with women around the world of different ages and in different sectors about how they lead, because we need many more women leading in the world today. We explore how women lead differently and do it their way, which is authentic, fulfilling and highly effective. Don't confuse the expression imposter syndrome with the feeling of being out of your depth. Hello, I'm Julie Middleton, Director of Women Emerging and your podcast host. This week we're talking to Ronke about the things that you need to reframe in your head, the words that need reframing in your head when you're leading. Last week, we looked at the ones that needed jettisoning. Remember when Anna talked about her spring cleaning, all the things that have to be dumped, thrown out, binned, out of your heads. This week, it's about the words that need reframing. On our first expedition, we we looked at five things we thought needed to be reframed. Um... The words, the expression, the imposter syndrome, the word emotional, the word instincts, the word listening and the word privilege. These were just five of ours as a starter. We know that everybody will have more to add to this list. Ronke certainly does and I have no doubt that you will too. Ronke is going to talk through some of these ones. She starts with the imposter syndrome and 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 how she just thinks of it in a completely different way from others. And she works through all our words, adding a few of her own and ends with privilege, which she has a particularly Nigerian angle on. So um, I leave it to Ronke first on the imposter syndrome. I love the your approach to the imposter syndrome. Um, you make a really clear distinction between imposter syndrome and being out of your depth, don't you, Ronke? Yes. So, yes, you know, the general understanding of imposter syndrome is that you have earned your place on the table, you have the credentials, but you still don't believe that um, you're good enough or you think you've been lucky or, you know, somehow somebody missed something and you managed to get yourself at the table. And for me, it's totally different. The term imposter syndrome is something that we've inherited that's being used. So if you talk to different people and ask them that, do you have the qualifications? they would tell you, yes, I do. Have you proven yourself time and time again? Yes, they have. So that cannot be imposter syndrome. At the time when people own up to having imposter syndrome, what most of them are feeling that they they don't know how to articulate clearly is that they're out of their depths at a particular time. So for me, it's a snapshot of an entire journey you're going through. So you are in a new job or in a new leadership position and somebody asks you at that particular time and you're like, oh my God, I don't even really believe I should be here. That's how you feel in a time frame. But if you 
dig deeper and ask the person to explain over a longer period of time that do you feel this way all the time or at certain times or at certain tables or in certain discussions? Then they narrow it down and then you figure out that really at that time or on that subject matter or in that room, they're just out of their depths. And the we all are sometimes, it, aren't we? And even men are like that. So how come men don't talk about having imposter syndrome? So it's really a, a good thing that people know that they have a feeling. So it's just for us to get more female leaders understanding that is this an ongoing thing in all situations, at all times, in all rooms, or is it a snapshot in your journey? And if that is the case, then it's not imposter syndrome. You just need to figure out what you don't know or why you feel uncomfortable in that room or at that table or with those people and grow from that or you build on it so that next time you're either in that role, on that table or with those people, you've dealt with what needed to be dealt with and you're moving along. So six weeks down the line, you might be in another room at another table and you feel that you do not, you will not consistently identify that as imposter syndrome anymore. You will just know that in that space, I need to try and figure out why I'm feeling like I'm out of my depth on this issue. And the good thing is that it shows that the woman has a level of excellence that she believes she has to be um, portraying or, ex or exuding, and she's falling short of it. So if she's if her normal level is 90%, if she's at 80, she's thinking, oh my God, I'm out of it. Most of the men in the room are probably at 30. And they're feeling very comfortable. So why how often, how often do you feel out of your depth, Ronky? Very rarely, I'm sorry. Um, really? I, very rarely. I, 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 because I self-audit, the minute I get into a room and I feel, hmm, I think everybody on this table knows a little bit more than I do, I start to ask them questions. I don't wait for questions to be thrown on the table where I have to shrink back. I start, to, oh, how long have you been doing this? So I resize the people in the room and put them in perspective. So instead of me being in a room where I feel slightly smaller, I either grow myself or I shrink everybody else down to where I think they ought to be. I love for, me, for, for me, you know, it's, it's just a way of busting the ego bubble for most of the other people in the room. And sorry to say this, sometimes it's not just men. It could be other women who got into leadership before you that actually make you feel, oh, you're new in this room. You just be quiet and let's talk about it and you listen. Oh, no. Okay, great. You know, you've been in this room 10 years ahead of me, but guess what? The real world that I'm dealing with now puts a new spin and a new perspective on whatever it is we're going to talk about. And guess what? Because you've been here for 10 years, you don't know what I know that you missed out while you were in this room. So I think we need to rephrase and reframe and rename those things in a way that makes it easier for us to belong, sit at the table comfortably and earn our space and know that we're not here by mistake. They know things I don't know and I know things they don't know. I love what you've just said, but I also know that uh, maybe I've got a slightly different take on it too. I feel like I quite regularly feel out of my depth. 
And in a way, and I don't think it's imposter syndrome, it's feeling out of my depth. And in a way, when I do feel out of my depth, I think, good, because if I stay in my own depth all the time, exactly. I'm not going to learn anything. Yep, that is true. You push yourself out of your comfort zone when you're out of your depth. And then you strive for excellence. And then you keep your ego in check as well. You don't and you make, sure you, don't, you make sure you don't panic. Yes. You get, so you, you, you do it enough sure you that you, it doesn't make you panic. Yes. So you leave the room thinking, oh, I think I need to study a bit more about this. And it's more to validate what you already know. You find out that you didn't really learn that much that you didn't know. You articulate, you use different language. Sometimes yeah. I go into a room full of bankers and they're talking banker speak. And I'm thinking, yeah. oh my God, I'm out of my depth. And I get onto in Investopedia and over three months, different new bankers words are coming into my vocabulary. And all of a sudden I look back and think, I don't really know any more than I did three months ago, but I'm speaking a language that they appreciate and I'm getting affirmed by them because I'm speaking their language. What about them speaking my language? So I can well, walk into a meeting and tell them that, oh, please, can you put this in layman's language just so that everybody has a clear picture of what you're saying? So I tone it down so they don't have any feeling of superiority over me. Okay, right. So... Imposter syndrome, we've reframed it big time. Uh, I also believe that a little bit of imposter syndrome is a good idea because it keeps you humble. But, but put that aside for a moment. Let's move on to instincts because you believe that instincts are a gift. Yes, I do. So I believe that everybody has um, a meter inside of them. And there are two ways you can have it inside of you and not know it's in there. And so you don't pay attention to it and you don't use it. But in coaching or mentoring or counseling, people have gotten to find out that they do have it. It's a gift. And the more you listen inwards, listen from inside, from your inner person and not from your external ears, you begin to find out that you always know what to do. Always? Sometimes you always know what to do. And there's my school of thought is that if you're trying to get to a particular place, physical, emotional, or mental, it's not one route that gets you there. So if you know inside of you that you can never miss the way to getting there, it could be through different routes. Some might be easier, some might be faster, some might take a day, some might take a week, but you will eventually get there. So your instincts will kick in at the start of a journey to direct you. Sometimes you're listening closely, sometimes you're not. Over time, I tend to listen to what my inner voice and my inner person is saying. And I'm making less and less mistakes than when I thought, oh my God, who's done it before? How did they do it? It's hardly likely that the route somebody else has taken to get to a spot is what you're going to take. So for me, once I start going in the direction of somebody else and not following my instinct, it's going to take longer. It's going to be harder. Tell me, a lot of my instincts play out in the middle of the night. Are you, are you like me? Do you dream a lot? 
I do. And my dreams are always spot on. Always. <laughs> okay. That cannot be true. <laughs> so let, 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 me give, let me just tell you a quick story. About 10 or 11 years ago, I, I slept and I woke up and I saw, you know, myself in a living room, in the dream. I was in a living room lying down and I opened my eyes and there were three kids, no, two little girls in the room. And as I wanted to lift up my head, I woke up and I thought, oh, wow, three girls. That, that was, I felt I was wearing something that showed I was at home in the dream. And I had this in my mind every time because I didn't have any kids at that time. I eventually had twin girls that look exactly the image that I had in that dream. So I believe the life of a person is almost a pre-recording that exists. And when you dream, you either fast forward and catch glimpses of things that haven't happened or you, you, know, you rewind and go to things that have happened before. And it helps you focus. So I never had any issues with, oh, am I going to have kids? I knew I was going to. I didn't know how. I didn't know when. But when those ki kids came, I remember that dream as if it was a live experience. Am I right that you had those kids age 50? 52. <laughs> Do you have a little piece uh, uh, of a little book by your bed with a pen so that you can write? The thoughts that come in the middle of the night to you. I actually have a book. I have all my dreams and I have night visions as well. Sometimes I have to ask myself, am I sleeping or am I awake? I have visions like I'm watching a TV screen and I see things happen and they do happen. And it prepares me. Rookie, Rookie, this podcast is supposed to be about leading. How can I possibly admit that <laughs> leading is about having good dreams? <laughs> listen to your inner voice, listen to your dreams, pay attention to those out of normal things. And that's what gives you an edge to innovate, to create, to disrupt. I think I think that the other word that no one will be no one will be surprised that you jump on to is the word emotional. So if when you're told that you're being a female an emotional woman, what do you answer? That's part of who I am. And everybody has it. You either let it out or you bottle it up in. So if you see other people or other genders that are less emotional, it's not that they don't have those emotions. It's either they've been told very often that don't express it, people don't appreciate it. But then that's why you get a lot more women in things like human resources, because there's need for empathy, there's need for compassion, there's need for emotions. People need to know who you are. More of you seeps out when you're emotional than when you bottle, bottle it in. And if people get to know more about who you really are and your intentions, people tend to want to leverage themselves for you even more. I have people who would tell me that I'm only doing this for you because it's you. And that's how I always get my legs into doors that are all, you know, otherwise shut to me. That I don't know why I'm doing this to you, but I just feel that you would make good use of this opportunity. And that's because they've seen me vulnerable, they've seen me emotional, and they've, they've seen the authentic me that exists. Ronke, this is the most wonderful conversation. There are so many things that we have to reframe. Before we come on to the word privilege, I'm going to, 
I think that you're going to add some words too, aren't they? You think that as leaders, when you start leading, you have to reframe the word receiving. Yes. So um, I'm one of those people, I like to gift people things. And I am embarrassed when people come back to say thank you. And I'm not a great receiver. And I have to think it through carefully that why am I not as comfortable receiving as giving? And it's because I haven't come to terms with the fact that I'm worthy of it. So I started to ask myself that, why don't you think you deserve to be gifted? People have seen certain things about you that they appreciate and they're affirming you. So affirm them back to let them know that what they've seen in you is real, is true, and they have good judgment. So when somebody appreciates something you've done and you don't receive back from them the affirmation that's coming your way, you're almost telling them that, oh, I'm not as good as you thought, or I'm not the right person to have received this, or you made a mistake. I'm not worthy yes. of this. Or well, I don't value your opinion. That is exactly what it is. So because if I came to you now and said, oh, Julia, I really enjoyed the conversation we had. I have this book that I think is going to be a fantastic book that would add value to you. And I give it to you and you don't receive it well. You're telling me, I don't trust your judgment. What do you know about me? How do you know this is going to be good? How do you know what, what we did together or what you experienced is real? The other word that you add, Ronke, to the reframing list is the word learning. Because I yes. think you're, you reframe learning not just as learning, but as unlearning, don't you? Yes. Along everybody's life journeys and, you know, professional growth, career growth and on the leadership journey, you're learning a lot of things. But the one thing that's constant in life is change. Our environment never change, never stays the same. It's dynamic. So you, as much as people feel they have to keep learning, I think there's even more of the unlearning. Because if you have a mumbo jumbo in your mind of, things you've learned, you haven't dispersed, you haven't pulled out things that are not working anymore. You're holding back onto things from errors that have gone by and are not coming back again. So I think it's even more important for women leaders to unlearn and focus on the new and the incoming. I think you're right. And and no doubt unlearn lots of things that our mothers have said to us. And I, unlearn... there, there, there was there was a story that I read about a lady who every Sunday when she was putting her turkey, her roast in the pot, she would cut the top part and the bottom part off. And after years, her daughter asked her, why do you do this? That's what her grandmother did. And luckily, grandma was still alive and she asked. And grandma said, oh, my oven was so small and the pan was small that I had to cut off the top. And, the... and I'm like, so you've been wasting part of your turkey for years. Because you didn't ask questions and unlearn habits that you just piled on and trudged on with a lot of baggage. Do you ever get, do you ever hear that expression, Ronke? 
you are as powerful as 10 men. <laughs> there actually is a Nigerian expression of being oh, no. nice. Oh, yes. Is that true? Oh, what yes. Is, in, in what language? Which language? It's in Yoruba, Okurimewa, that you're 10 men all rolled into one. <laughs> so as formidable as one man is, you are 10 of those men rolled into one and you're female. So you need, you, so you need to, you need, you need to tone down, calm down, unbundle and become real. <laughs> you ever listen to that? <laughs> it's amazing that that's considered a, a compliment. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, and you know you, I, I, I take it in stride. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> now go on. We've got a big one here. The other word to reframe is the word privilege, yes. and to reframe it as responsibility. Now I know, Ronke, that you have a particular angle on this as a Nigerian woman. Yeah. So. Privilege is referred to or generally accepted as being unfair advantage. But the thing is that you can't give it away and you can't take it. You either have it or you don't. And it could be in terms of your gender, your class or your race or whatever. But the thing is that you have earned it somehow or you've walked, it doesn't, no, no, let, let me You've it received it sometimes. You've received it sometimes and you've not received, earned you, it. You, you, yes, you haven't earned it, you've received it. And that doesn't mean that you've had an easy ride. You have worked hard, you have had failures as well. You've had times when things weren't favorable for you. You are privileged, but on the, from the outer side, people think if you're privileged, everything is rosy. Everything is good all the time. But that's not the case. Well, what privilege really does is it is responsibility. All the good parts of the privilege, you need to package it and you're responsible for disseminating all of those things to people around you, teaching it to people, mentoring people, coaching it to people, sharing with people who didn't naturally find themselves in that space where they got all of those things. So it's a huge responsibility to be privileged. And it allows you to see things from a lens where you can start to correct inclusivity. You, 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 are, you are now responsible for ensuring that people are not left out because they don't have what you take for granted that you have. So you're almost a custodian of the tradition or the culture, whatever sense of privilege people assume you have that you do have. So it's not something to shake away and disown and hide away from and think, oh, I don't want people to really look at me in this way because there are a lot of people who have it and are in denial. And that stops you from proliferating it, which is absolutely essential in society. In the 60s, there was a very small middle class in Nigeria that had been passed on great values, morals. They were so secluded and they felt so out of place from the larger body that they kept themselves together, didn't pass this on. And before we knew it, we didn't have a growing middle class. And when there's a separation of classes like that, 
more people end up falling at the base of the pyramid. And it doesn't help economic development. It doesn't help cultural development. It just has no advantage whatsoever. So anybody who finds themselves in a place of privilege is not a place of pride. It's a place of responsibility. So you need to look inwards and figure out what it is that you have that makes you privileged and find out ways in which you can pass that on to your children, your family, people around you, groups of people by mentoring, coaching, trainings. So it's a lot, it's a lot of work. You have to acknowledge it and you have to use it. You don't get to keep it and just wear it as a badge. Or as armor. Yep. To, keep, to protect you from ev everything and everybody else. So you really have to acknowledge it and then you have to use it. It's a long list of reframing this, isn't it? It is, but we have to keep working at it. When you start leading as a woman, there's so much you have to reframe, isn't there? And Very part good. of it is that people have been planting things in our heads for such a long time. Oh, yes. Okay, so every past leader has created a playbook. And the playbook aligned with who they are, where they're coming from, what their past experiences are, the, their current the size, the size of their oven. Yes. And a future that they think is coming yes. or that they imagine. But I'm not them. And I'm allowed to make my playbook because my experiences are different. They're unique to me. My current situation is unique. My future, the future that I see, is not what the other person saw. So how can I inherit their playbook and hold on to it and think that that's what's going to work for me and for people? And in the same space, we have to let people come in behind us, people we're leading, our followers, let them create their own playbooks too. Because it's easy for us to get into it, into leadership, and also want to shut that door off people, other people having variances from what we have. We want the people above us to allow us breathe, but we don't want the people coming behind us to breathe. So we have to be, we have to continually remind ourselves. It's just like the word failure. I mean, I don't understand when people say, oh, you know, this person is a failure. Failure is a capture of a person at a point in time. They say it's an entire journey. It's a road that's leading to success, to innovation, to improvements, to creativity, to evolution. So if a person doesn't stop at that point, they would eventually emerge at a place where something beautiful comes out, something different from what has been known, something innovative. If we don't Are allow we failure to be a good word, I don't know why people think failure is a bad word. As long as you don't stop at your point of failure. Ah, I love that. As long as you don't stop at your point of failure. Rocket, you have reframed so many things in my head. I'm glad. <laughs> this has been wonderful. So much to reframe. So many things to reframe.
Ronke's added so many. I love the concept of reframing, receiving and reframing learning and, of course, reframing failure. So thank you so much, Ronke. Next week, we move on to another part of the book um, that came out shortly from very recently. If that's leading, I'm in which will help you, I hope, and guide you through your own expedition as you set off and find an approach to leading that resonates with you. Having looked last week at jettisoning and this week at reframing, next week we move on to the next thing that you have to be very, very clear on when you're leading, the thing you have to find, your purpose your purpose in leading. Why are you leading at all? So look forward to next week. In the meantime, sending much love. There's also loads more you can learn from other women if you go to our website, womenemerging.org. That's womenemerging.org. Over time, we are determined to redefine leading so that more of us can say, If that's leading, I'm in.